everybody welcome to another baseball america podcast i'm kyle glazer joined today by jj cooper and carlos colazzo late last night agreement between the major league baseball players association and mlb was reported by espn's jeff passan and the athletics ken rosenthal kind of setting the stage for what kind of season we're going to be looking at here in 2020 obviously it's been delayed due to the spread of covid 19 a lot of things to hit on with this reported agreement. Uh, we're going to hit on how it affects players, high school and the draft, college, minors, majors. Uh, before we get started, though, one of the biggest things that we keep seeing over and over again and was really reinforced to me with this most recent agreement, the Major League Baseball Players Association, what they exist to do, what their job is, is to protect the players on 40-man rosters. Future members, such as current minor leaguers, current draft picks, current international signees, that's not their top priority, and it's never going to be their top priority. And I think a lot of the criticism that we've seen regarding this deal doesn't have to do with what happened at the major league level. It has to do with how this deal hurts, again, minor leaguers, mostly draft picks and international signees. JJ and Carlos, I want to talk to you a little bit about this. Uh, The quick rundown on the draft is... As we know, the draft currently is 40 rounds long. This agreement permits Major League Baseball to reduce it to as few as five rounds. Now, there is some discretion. The commissioner can increase it to a larger number if he so pleases. Um, But we could potentially be looking at as few as five rounds in this draft, down from 40. Bonus payments will be deferred. And also in the international circuit, uh, we've seen the international signing periods. The commissioner has to write to postpone those as well, just given the cash flow issues hitting Major League Baseball during this delay. What were your guys' reactions when you saw this, particularly the news about the draft going from 40 rounds to potentially as few as five? Carlos, let's start with you as our lead draft writer. Yeah, I I think the first reaction was just some relief that the draft was actually going to take place. I think definitely a worst-case scenario for me as someone who exclusively covers the draft is that there is no draft. Uh, So that's good. And I think that removes a significant amount of the crunch that colleges would have to deal with without a draft. It helps kind of with the the continued inflow of talent to the professional baseball level, which is important. Um, So I think my initial reactions were like, okay, good. We have a draft. We know there's going to be one. We'll figure out the rounds at some point. Everyone that I've talked to, scout sources, agent sources, they want it to be 10 rounds. I think from from their position, it makes sense that 10 rounds is kind of what you're hoping for. I think it would be significantly better than a five-round draft just because of some of the numbers you're dealing with. in college baseball, some of the high school issues you would deal with with a five-round draft. Um, but then I think more the more that you kind of look through this and think through this, it just it's honestly more of the same from the Players Association. And you did say they're responsible for 40-man players only. But, I mean, in my opinion, and, and based on some people that I've talked to, it seems that that's extremely short-sighted. At, at some point, that's going to have to change. They keep giving concessions that harm the amateur talent that, guess what? Those are going to be your Mike Trouts, your Mookie Betts of the future. If you're never going to look out for them, no, there's no one at the table that can speak for them. And they're the ones that keep having to give up these concessions. The same is true of minor league players. I think kind of as you kind of think through this, there are a lot of negatives that are going to affect college players, high school players, minor league players. And you can make the argument that they're not the ones being represented by the association, but those are the players who will be in the future. So, I mean, we can get into more of this. I don't want to ramble too much, but I guess we'll pass on to JJ. Well, 
I would agree with you, but I would say when you say this has to change, no, it, it doesn't because if you're the MLBPA, there will never, ever, ever be a point where you say you sacrifice the needs of your members for a group who may, key part here also is, may end up being members for you down the road. Well, you know they're I mean? not going to be where, the, where are they coming from. No, I'm you know? saying, but a lot of these players, but a lot of these players well, never. Sure. Right. So my point, though, is, is that as long as the current structure exists, where the two possibilities currently right now are either A, the MLBPA represents another side in the draft, or B, MLB unilaterally determines the draft. There is no kind of really – Garrett Brocious and others are Ty Kelly and Matt Parra and are, are looking at trying to d develop an advocacy group. They've announced an advocacy group for the minor leaguers. But we are far, far, far away from those players being represented by someone who actually has a seat at the table. Mm. And this is what you're going to see over and over because at the end of the day, yes, this is – if you're a college player, if you're a high school player, and I do especially think – potentially high college juniors. If you are a second tier, really good, but not great prospect, who's a college junior, this could be awful for you. This could literally cost you six figures of income that you will never see again. And it's awful for them. But if you're the MLEPA, your goal in this was to get your players, your major league players paid and to get service time. And if you sacrifice the draft to do that, that doesn't affect the people who are voting to approve this deal. And that's the key point again, JJ. I'm glad you brought that up. As much as we talk about, there are players who absolutely do look out for the younger players out there. The priority is always going to be, what are we doing at the major league level? Everything else is secondary. We've seen in past CBA negotiations, this trade-off was made as well. Uh, the Players Association accepting caps on draft compensation in 2012 and international signing uh, compensation in 2016. So this is something that we've seen take place over and over and over again. There's no reason to think it'll stop necessarily. Going back to the draft, who specifically do you feel like – I shouldn't say who specifically do you feel like this hurts because, as JJ talked about, the college juniors are probably the biggest group. But how does this change things? Because part of the interesting dynamic of this as well, it could go to as few as five rounds. But Major League Baseball has limited the signing bonus undrafted free agents can receive to $20,000 prevents teams from circumventing this saying, okay, we won't draft this guy, but then we'll go give him $1.5 million as an undrafted free agent. It really does limit the option a lot of these players have. You mentioned a lot of college juniors who might have been eighth round picks or now probably going to go back to college. High school seniors who may have been overpays after the 10th round, you know, guys who are drafted in the 11th, but get, you know, fifth or sixth round money, maybe they go to college. This feels like it's really going to shift the entire dynamic of the draft both who is really a draft prospect and then what type of players teams can actually get out of this draft. Well, this is what I'm talking about. And the draft, the reason the draft exists is to suppress signing bonuses for amateur talent, right? That's the whole reason we have it. And it just seems like as, as time goes on more and more, we're just finding other ways. To, and obviously the Corona, it's a different, it's a unique situation, but I think this is kind of an entry point where you can further suppress where teams are able to spend money and where amateur talent can get money. I mean, there are teams like the Dodgers and Braves are great examples from last year's draft who chose to be really, really aggressive on day three and spend a lot of money. I think they spent between 2.4 and $2.9 million in signing bonuses on day three, which were the highest of any team. 
Uh, they let their area scouts get aggressive and they took talent on day three. Well, that's not going to happen this year. Like you said, a lot of the players who would be over slot bonus kids in the kind of 10 to 15 round range, those high school kids, why would they sign for $20,000 when they can go to college? Uh, and in three years, hopefully it comes out and it's a bit settled. But I just think we keep tamping down on all the avenues for teams who want to spend to be able to and for players to get the money that they're quite honestly worth. But um, the prospects, as far as the prospect status, they're all still the same. That doesn't change anything. It does change who will be able to go, not, not be able, but who will actually go in the draft. It changes the, the targets that teams will have. It changes things for the seniors. Um, we're probably not going to see as much uh, gamesmanship because the draft will be shorter and there's just not that you don't have the ability to kind of leverage players and, and, and play the kind of gamesmanship that you see with underslot and overslot bonuses. I think you'll probably still see a lot of senior signs uh, take that 20K. They're going to have to weigh that 20K with uh, the risk of coming back next year uh, and kind of competing with a, a deeper pool of seniors. Um, so I think it'll probably be more, it'll line up more with the talent and the top end guys. I don't know if they'll necessarily be affected, but it's going to be a lot different. JJ, this is really unprecedented in a lot of ways. Uh, you've been around since uh, really all the various stoppages of play. You go back to 1994, 1995, and Major League Baseball did have a significant revenue loss, obviously for very different reasons, a player's strike versus a global pandemic. Uh, but they still had the draft as usual. They didn't cut down the rounds just because there was that revenue loss from missed games. Um, how do you kind of see the decision that was made here, just in kind of the bigger picture and the entire history of baseball, uh, we've never really had anything quite like this from a, well, on a lot of different levels, but also a work stoppage leading to the draft being reduced. There, there's an old political adage that says, never let a crisis go to waste. You use a crisis to get things that you want done. And they've wanted to get this done. Major League Baseball has wanted to reduce the draft. They have a crisis now. It gets them to get something they want to get done. I do want to push back, though. When Carlos said that he doesn't think that there's going to be as much games, it's going to be a different kind of game is my prediction. Yeah. What we saw before they flattened the top of the draft, what we saw was the number one pick often got much less in the, uh, than the, the bonus, the slot offer. And the reason was is that the, the, the cliff that you fell off of, if you went to two, you got a lot less money than one. If you went to three, you got a lot less money than two. So that gave teams leverage to really ratchet down the bonus because the reality of it is, is that the, the opportunity cost of falling in the draft was such that you, would, you were better off taking two million under slot because it was better than you were gonna get two or three slots later. The ledge that we are going to see, if this draft is a five round draft, the ledge that we will see at the back of the fifth round, where your choices are either you are drafted, and if you are drafted, your slot will be a six-figure, a significant six-figure bonus, or you will go undrafted, and you will max out at 20000 really if that's point. If that's the case, if I get on the phone, if I'm an area scout, if I'm a scouting director, and I'm trying to decide who I take in the fifth round, Say there's 10 picks to go. Say there's 15 picks to go. And I say, I know that you're looking for $250,000 or whatever it is. We'll give you 100. Do you want to take it or not? And if you don't, you can take your chances that someone further on in this fifth round is going to take you. 
okay? You say, no, we'll move on to the next guy. And so what's going to happen is at the back of the fifth round, moving up maybe to the front of the fifth round, you're going to have players who the choice is either you take well under slot, potentially, or you go undrafted. And if you go undrafted, your choices are go back to school or sign for $20,000. That's a leverage point that has never existed at that point in the draft. Because the difference is when we're doing, Carlos and I, you know, and Kyle, when all of us are doing scout calls, I was doing one today and we're talking about guys who are right on that borderline, like guys who you would describe as, we often hear guys described as a fourth to seventh rounder. Well, in the past, a fourth to seventh rounder meant that you either, you know, maybe you got 50,000 less than you wanted. Maybe you got 50,000 more. A fifth rounder or first to sixth rounder this year is a difference of a hundred and some thousand dollars. And so that's going to push bonuses at the back of the draft in these, if it's five rounds, it's going to push them down because you're going to be risking so much if you say no to a below slot deal. Another interesting aspect to me on this is draft picks are only going to get $100,000 of their bonus in 2020. Uh, the rest of it will be paid out over 2021, 2022. And every year we see kids who, you know, go into the draft and, and whatever their family situation, they really need the money. And I think that's especially true this year. We have a lot of people in a lot of industries being laid off, being furloughed. I wonder how much the fact that all of a sudden that $8 million signing bonus that guys at the top of the draft get, or to a larger degree, you know, the guys further down the draft, where you're only going to get 100K of your signing bonus, even if you sign for 1 million, 1.5 million, $2 million, how that's going to affect their decision. Because these are human beings with families that in some cases do need the money and need it right now. Yeah, I, I do think that's going to have less impact. And the reason I say that is, is a lot of players split their bonus as it stands right now. I mean, that's something that happens. There are a lot of tax purposes where you defer part of your bonus. You get part of it the first year. You get part of it. A lot of times you'll establish residency, especially if you are drafted by a team that has spring training in Florida. You establish residency in Florida. You cut your tax bill, and you get a lot of your – you get as much as you can of your bonus at that point so that you save that money. It is designed in this. You can't negotiate that either. It is not something where you can say – hey, I'll sign with you if you'll speed up that bonus. It is fixed. You get 100, you get 50%, you get 50%. I do think, though, I mean, it is you're getting $100,000. And the part that's maybe negotiable is when your agent takes his cut, that might be negotiable. You know, you are going to lose taxes in that. But I do think, I think that's going to be much less of an impact than I feel very confident in saying there are players who are going to sign for $20,000 because they're seniors or whatever, but they're going to bail out on pro baseball, not because they failed, yeah. but because they can't afford to exactly. continue. I know that there's going to be, there's a 50% bump for next year in pay, you know, in what players are getting paid. That said, you still only get paid during the season. That's only for some cases, that's going to be two to three months. In a lot of, you know, in other cases, it'll be five. There are, when I was doing this story on the, you know, the advocates for minor leagues, Andrew Church, current, you know, current uh, minor league player, his, his point was, look, I'm a second round pick. I got money. I could use that bonus to fund my eating, my training, all of that. I had the money to do that. 
He said, but I can tell you, I've had minor league teammates who, because of life circumstances, because they didn't have parents who could support them, they quit. They were all stars and they quit because they couldn't afford to try to do their dream anymore. Micah Johnson last night, I asked him, he was talking about it, so I asked him specifically, ninth round pick out of college, signed for, you know, modest, but six figures. And he said, 127,000. 127, 127,000. He said, under this situation, I wouldn't have been a baseball player because I could not afford to do it under this kind of situation. Yeah. And I think, I think to Kyle, to, Kyle, to your point, it is affecting those players. They're just not going to get the opportunity to, to ever get into pro ball in the first place. I mean, a lot of these multi-sport guys who maybe have opportunities, the financial incentives and in other sports down the line might be a lot better than baseball for them right now. And I think baseball is going to miss out on a lot of really impressive talent that you might want to have in your game otherwise. This is something that's going to take years to play out. The ramifications of a draft under normal circumstances, we see the true effects of it four, five, six years down the line. This year is a very uh, special circumstance, obviously. And I think we're all going to be very curious to see exactly what kind of players do get picked, especially at the back, whether that's the end of the fifth round or if it becomes a 10-round draft, and also what the signing bonuses look like. And, and like you said, what players are excluded from this. With that, I want to move it over to college because – on the one hand, colleges all of a sudden now stand to gain a tremendous influx of talent. A lot of those guys who might have been drafted out of high school in the you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, all of a sudden now might make it to campus. Also, a lot of college juniors who were talented but not top-level guys that also might have gone that you know, seven, eight, nine round range are also coming back to campus. So on the one hand, college baseball stands to receive a significant influx of talent, which is very good. On the other hand, you're going to have huge roster crunches because a lot of teams handed out scholarships under the assumption that everything was going to be operating normally. And now you have players who are on scholarship and all of a sudden their spots in jeopardy. So there's that negative aspect of this as well. Carlos, when you look at the college classes now moving forward from a draft perspective and just college baseball perspective, what do you see? Yeah, I've talked to a number of college coaches about this in the last few days. And I think one thing we'll have to see is is what the Division One Council decides on Monday as far as what the eligibility is going to be. Is it just going to be seniors getting an extra year? Is it going to be everyone gets an extra year? Because uh, that'll that'll obviously impact this conversation and, and affect what's going to happen. But like you said, there's going to be a ton of talent next year. A lot of these high school players are going to be pushed to the college ranks. Uh, it'll be competitive within your own within your own team to get at bats, get playing time. Um, if you're a fan of just college baseball, it's probably good for you. There are a lot of colleges, a lot of coaches who are going to have to deal with cutting players. There are a lot of programs that might not fund increased scholarships, even if they're able to. So I think there are not a lot of, of wrinkles and, and challenges that are going to have to be figured out here in the next few months. And additionally, this becomes even more difficult if we get a draft date that's towards the end of this timeline. If it's a late July draft date, that, that makes things a lot tougher for, for college coaches and it makes it tougher for JUCO guys who are deciding where they're going to go next year um, when roster spots, playing time, all of that's in flux. So it's going to be challenging. Yeah, one thing uh, Teddy Cahill, our college beat writer at Baseball America, a point he raised in his article up at Baseball America right now that I thought was really interesting was – just granting seniors an extra year of eligibility would cost Power 5 schools anywhere from five hundred dollars to $900,000. Mm -hmm. 
And if everyone's granted an extra year of eligibility, on the one hand, morally, it seems like the right thing to do. Division two, division three, and NAI have already voted to grant that extra year of eligibility to everyone. Division one will be voting on that on Monday. But there is a financial component to this. And for a lot of Power Five schools, even though they make tons and tons of money, the fact that they're not receiving NCAA tournament revenue, uh, there's really going to be a cash crunch to a lot of these schools. And Carlos, you mentioned there might be some teams who aren't even able to fund this extra year of eligibility, these extra scholarships. I, I, to me, I mean, we never have seen something exactly like this before. But, but the other thing with that, the, I think you all both summed up pretty well, there are going to be a lot of brutal discussions because, mm-hmm. okay, the Division I Council's decision. If they approve giving extra eligibility, year, extra year of eligibility to all players, which would be the most, from the student-athlete perspective, it would be seemingly the most equitable uh, decision. You know, you can make the argument that basically essentially everyone effectively had a medical redshirt. If you wanted to kind of try to split the, the difference, maybe you could argue that this is a redshirt year for everybody. And so if you've already used your redshirt, you lose a year. You know, again, you could make other arguments. But if that happens, okay, that makes things better for juniors for the draft because at least they will not – they would go into a 20-round draft next year to have leverage to be drafted. If it only applies to seniors, then juniors who do not get drafted this year face a truly uh, – uh, they have no good choices. Their choices are sign for 20 now or go back for your senior year and hope that you can do better than that with While no guarantee. competing with significantly more seniors than a typical draft year. Absolutely. All of that. But the other part of it is, is that there's also a cascade effect. So we talk about, like, I think Carlos, you know, I think all of y'all, the, the, what I've heard is once you get past that top tier of high school guy, not many high school guys are going to get drafted this year. Five rounds. Mm-hmm it's going to be the guys who you really believe in, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, you know, a couple per team. Well, normally that would mean a massive influx to division one colleges. For one, they're going to, have to find the scholarship room for this because as you said, Carlos, a lot of these guys are guys who weren't expected to get to school, but you mm-hmm. can maybe work around that. But on top of that, they were going to schools with the expectation that they would get to play yep. and they're going to arrive at a school if they go to a four year and find that they're buried behind someone potentially, or they're going to go to JUCO. Well, the JUCOs are facing the same situation because they also have been given an extra year. So you may have some very sophomore heavy JUCO teams who are like, yeah, we, you know, it, the cascade effects of this are going to be massive. I guess it would be just the best way to say it. And again, we have to wait for what the vote officially comes out as. That will have a huge, huge effect on what everything looks like next year. The minor leagues, it's kind of an interesting dynamic to me here. Um, obviously, the minor leagues and that relationship with Major League Baseball has been in the news throughout the offseason with Major League Baseball expressing a desire to reduce the number of teams in the minors, potentially from 160 to 120. With these changes now, there's obviously going to be less players coming into baseball through the draft. And as you mentioned last night on Twitter, JJ, the professional baseball agreement between the majors and minor leagues require that short season teams and rookie ball teams be filled through this season. You're going to have to fill those teams, but without the new wave of players that are normally the players who make up those teams. In a lot of ways, this kind of saves the jobs of a lot of guys who 
in a normal year might be cut late round picks from years past draft picks who just haven't delivered and are still in rookie ball after year three or four all of a sudden their careers get extended a little bit just because there's less competition and those rosters still need to be filled uh, potentially there's a couple things though that work against that one that is if we have a and again i'm very hopeful that is if we have a minor league season correct there which is, is no still, guarantee yeah which we still don't know the deal was struck in case a season takes place and bears repeating in a lot of cases that's best case scenario uh, the virus is still but, spreading it's still growing we don't know if there will be a season nothing is set in stone in that if there is the other way you could do it is just sign a bazillion twenty thousand dollar undrafted free agents because if you are a senior you have no other option if you are not one of – if your name is not Landon Knack, and I don't know, maybe a couple of others, but if you are not a senior who – you know, if you don't go in the top five rounds, other than that, there are going to be a, a, a ton of players, and there are going to be JUCO guys, and there are going to be even some juniors who are going to sign for 20000 You know, filling rosters is something that you can always – your, your quality of play will go down, but you can always fill them. I do think, though, if I'm minor league baseball, I see this and go, oh, they're going ahead on this. Negotiations are still going on on the PBA, but they are going ahead with implementing their plan. And it's just, uh, you know, it's just being done in kind of reverse order because mm -hmm. it's not just five rounds this year. Minimum it's 20, 20 next year. And what are the odds that it's actually 20? It's probably going to be 20. I, I mean, it's going to be 20. Yeah, they're not going to be more than that. And that right there, one of the things that MLB wanted in their PBD negotiations, it's not something to negotiate with MILB, but they talked about they wanted the draft to be smaller. Well, they've gotten the draft smaller. I will tell you right now, the chances that the 2022 draft is higher, is longer than 20 rounds, highly unlikely, not likely to happen. They've gotten this instituted. And you can't – it is the teams that want to have – the Yankees who want to have a short season, a rookie ball, and a couple of complex league teams, going to be a lot harder to do that when you don't get those extra rounds. And, again, this is taking money. It is cost containment for Major League Baseball. Because, Carlos, you have the numbers. We were just talking about them. Millions and millions of dollars are spent on players after the 10th round, after mm -hmm. the 20th round. You know, each a lot of them are a hundred thousand here, a hundred and twenty-five there. Mm -hmm. But there have been a lot of money spent on those guys, and some of those guys are quickly done, and some of them turn into major leaguers. But that money has effect, effectively been taken out of the draft, and it's unlikely, in my prediction, that it'll ever come back. See, and this is what I was talking about at the very beginning. It's just at every level, the the costs are being tamped down and obviously that's the goal from mlb's perspective that's what they want but at some point i mean the other side has to has to do a little bit better of a job in my opinion maybe i'm too harsh i don't know i don't know if you guys feel differently but and i do come to it from the draft perspective but that's just kind of what i think i'm trying to post the financial stuff right now but to, but to make the point yes this is something what we have i mean again and i'm just making from a very pragmatic standpoint MLB has looked for cost containment. So like back it up to 2011. In 2011, you could spend freely on amateur talent acquisition in every way you wanted to. Mm -hmm. If you did it in the draft, 
what would happen is MLB would call you into a room, shake their finger at you, tell you don't do it. But there was no penalty other than maybe losing an all-star game if you did. Mm-hmm. So teams would spin freely in the draft. 2012 yeah. CBA eliminated that. It basically tamped it down, cost certainty on the draft side. Anyone who wanted to spend above 4.9% above their bonus pool loses draft picks. No one's ever done that. Mm-hmm. Okay. The money flowed then. The free talent, the money in amateur talent acquisition flowed to the international side. At that point, instead, you could spend money freely internationally. You had bonus pools. If you exceeded them, you had to pay a 100% penalty and you lost the ability to sign high price guys for the next year or the next two years. But teams did that. Most famously, the Padres spent basically close to $70 million to, in one year. We had guys like Yon Mankata, where the Red Sox spent $63 million for one player. So the talent flowed there. They then changed that and they tamped down cost certainty there because now you can't go over your bonus pools. You can trade for more, but you can only go up to 50% above your bonus pool. They also tamped, they closed down the opportunity to spend on international players like a Shoyotani. They closed that down by raising the age of eligibility before you, know, before you were eligible for a true free agent contract. So all those costs have been tamped down. This now takes another big step because the other thing we haven't talked about on the international side, you cannot trade your bonus pool allotments, which you've been able to do in past years. So this upcoming year in the international signing side, if you don't spend your money, it just gets lost. Yep. And Whereas the past year, you would trade that to someone else. Yeah. And you mentioned all that. We haven't even talked about how the luxury tax at the major league level basically acts as a hard cap for teams now. So it's at every level costs are being capped, essentially. And just to get back to our other point really quick so you can get the numbers, after the 10th round last year, teams spent $57 million combined. And I think the total is around three hundred sixteen. Uh, for the entire draft. So just to give you an idea of how much is typically spent after the 10th round. JJ, you had written about this previously before this deal was reported, and you hinted at it earlier on this podcast. The fact the draft will be limited this year to potentially as few as five rounds and potentially as few as 20 rounds next year, which lines up a little bit with what Major League Baseball had stated it wanted to do, get the draft into the 20 to 25 round range. A lot of minor league teams, it seems like now it's more likely that they're going to be on the chopping block. You had written about how this crisis is going to make it very difficult for a number of minor league teams to stay in business because they're so reliant on their gate receipts. But on top of that now, if you start down this road and you get into a 20-round draft and that becomes the new normal, there's fewer players to fill those rosters and Major League Baseball essentially gets what it wants, which is some of those lower level teams go away. Uh, you know, I go back to your quote earlier, uh, which is a famous political quote, never let a serious crisis go to waste. What ramifications do you see from this in terms of the construction of the minor leagues? Because on a number of levels, both from an economic level of the virus to the deal Major League Baseball struck that's going to limit the number of players coming into the professional ranks over the next two years at least, it does seem like it's less likely some of those lower-level teams will still exist. I mean, again, the, the, con- the PBA, the current PBA expires on September 30th of this year. And without an agreement, you know, that at that point, the current agreement is null and void. This, what happened today... I absolutely think makes it less likely that short season baseball exists in 2021. Now it doesn't guarantee that it's gone. I'm not saying that, but 
MLB now, uh, just look at it from this way to start with. The draft could, the signing deadline for this draft could be August 1st. Now, teams have gotten around that before. It's not a big deal. It used to be that signing deadline, what there wasn't a signing deadline, and teams still filled short season rosters. So I'm not saying that a July 20th draft means that you can't have any players from this year's draft fit into short season ball this year. But it will make it more difficult. But on top of that, a five-round draft, you take away the, the players who would be the logical players to go to short season ball next year, you know, because the, they're not going to be drafting the high school guys. One of the neat reasons you need the short season teams for most clubs is for the international and the high school guys who need extra time before they're ready for full season ball. We're going to see so few high school players drafted this year that there's not going to be nearly that need because uh, you're, the, the cut, the, it's going to be a dramatic cut in the number of less experienced players who are taken in this much, much more abbreviated draft. And the players who are going to be signed as non-drafted free agents are almost in all cases going to be guys who are much more experienced, who are 21, 22, 23 years old, for whom the Pioneer League, the Northwest League, the New York Penn League are less useful. Uh, I mean, again, I, I don't want to go too far in predicting, but I do feel comfortable in saying that what MLB got the MLBPA to agree to here makes it more difficult for the M for MILB, who is not a party to these negotiations, to land to ensure more than 120 teams play minor league baseball in 2021. And again, as we said, there, there's a lot to be worked out here, but there's no question the difficulties are very, very clear for all to see. Minor league teams are dealing with them right now, and, and it seems like they will continue on into uh, the coming months. Guys, I want to wrap up with the top level here, Major League Baseball. The biggest aspects of this deal, the owners advanced $170 million to players for April and May, but if there's no season, they're there's not going to be any additional payment after that. However, what the players got was service time. And we've seen over and over and over again how important that is to them. Even if a season is not played and they might not draw paychecks beyond May, they'll get their year of service time. They're a year closer to free agency. They're a year further along in arbitration and can gain more money over the long term than they would have if they weren't granted that year of service time this year. Just what are your thoughts on the deal for the most part? Uh, again, MLB owners, they're advancing players at $170 million, but they're off the hook potentially for what would be between four and four and a half billion dollars in player salaries uh, if the season is not played, whereas the players get their year of service time, which as we've seen again and again, is their most important thing. The big thing here is, is that I, th I think one thing that has been kind of not fully explained on the major league side in all this is there is no guarantee. We talk about the $4, million, the $4 billion in MLB player salaries for this year. There is a pretty strong legal case, not a lawyer, disclaimer, not a lawyer, but a pretty strong legal case that they would be off the hook for paying any of that if there's no season because there's contracts, clauses in the contract that potentially the current coronavirus global pandemic could trigger. So it would be a pretty lengthy lawsuit for the Players Association to try to get that $4 billion. And it would also be a pretty significant lengthy lawsuit to try to get service time. So 
I don't think it's necessarily a great deal for the players. I think the owners got a lot of what they needed out of this. But I will say, I don't want to make it also sound like that the players took $170 million of $4 billion they were going to get because there's no guarantee they were going to get the $4 billion. There's actually a decent that they were going to get none of it. And that would have been, if you're a player, that would have been really bad. I think from a player personnel perspective, one of the interesting things that we'll have to see again, we don't know if there's going to be a season, when a season would start, how many games it would be. All that is dependent on what happens with this virus, which is out of Major League Baseball's control. But you look at some of the trades that were made. A lot of people have talked about the Dodgers trading Alex Verdugo and Jeter Downs and Connor Wong to go get Mookie Betts and David Price this year. Now there's a chance that Mookie Betts might not play for the Dodgers because that service time will be granted this year. He would still be a free agent in November. You look at Trevor Bauer and Marcus Stroman, the Reds and Mets acquired each of them last year, thinking they'd get a year and a half of both of them and gave up some significant prospects to do so. Instead, there's the potential to only get half a year of them. And JT Realmuto, he's another player who's scheduled to be a free agent after this season. The Phillies gave up a lot for him, including their top pitching prospect, Sixto Sanchez, and they could potentially be out one year less than they thought when they were acquiring him. Again, we have to see how many games are being played, but just the possibility, it's certainly interesting. I mean, there's a chance now teams will have given up a lot in terms of prospect or young player capital for these veterans and gotten a lot less return than they thought they were getting and, and what that does to their future outlook. It could alter it significantly. Yeah. I mean, there's – Yeah. I would agree with you. It's, I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, the, the one thing that is useful that came out of this is we have an agreement. I do think there is some importance to that, that basically the two sides have kind of established the guardrails for trying to get a season in in 2020. And I do think that that is important. Um, I would argue that is the most important thing of all this. I think, you know, just to kind of put a topper on this, as we talk about the issues with the draft, the issues potentially with college, what this can mean for the minor leagues, I think you come from it from a top-down perspective and understand the most important parts were, what is a 2020 season going to look like? What are the MLB issues going to be in terms of players, in terms of payment, in terms of service time? Because at the end of the day, that's the top level. That's what makes everything go. And, and that's what the most people care about. So I do feel like when I look at this deal as a whole, I understand why MLB did it. I understand why the MLB Players Association did it. Is it a perfect deal for all parties? No, but that's true in any negotiation of any contract in any business or any bargaining agreement, I should say. So I do feel like on the whole, the most important things here were accomplished. And now I'm just going to be very, very curious to see the long-term ramifications because the draft in college we're going to see some ramifications this year, but I think the real ramifications are going to play out five, six, seven years from now. Very possible. There's a lot more that's going to come from this. You know, I, I also do think, um, I, as, as Carlos pointed out, the Monday vote for the NCAA is now going to be even more important because there are juniors, there are college juniors who that vote could mean the difference of starting a professional career with a $250,000 signing bonus, a $450,000 signing bonus, in some cases maybe a million-dollar signing bonus, versus starting their career with a $20,000 signing bonus. That's, I mean, that decision has become huge. 
Absolutely. JJ, I do want to ask you, I think I come from the perspective of, I understand why this deal was made. Carlos has voiced his frustration with some aspects of this from the Players Association side. What is your overall viewpoint on this deal? Again, I'm a pragmatist. I, I think it is expected that the MLBPA, which has this leverage, because the MLB did come into this with, hey, we could just eliminate the draft but they couldn't do that without the MLBPA agreeing to it. They used the leverage they had to get what was important to them. What was important to them was service time. That was important to them. That means a lot of money to Mookie Betts and Trevor Bauer and many others. That was the most important thing to them. So they used their leverage. It is really bad news for a lot of college players, for some high school players too. I don't want to overdo that. I don't want to skip that because there are high school players every year who signed out of the draft and that was their peak. They got hurt. They're not as good as we thought, but they signed for significant money as a and go pro. And then they have a college scholarship still in their back pockets. It comes as part of the deal. And they also have a significant amount of money. Some of those guys are going to now go to college they're not going to be as good as we thought they were, so they're going to have less leverage to be drafted down the road. Or in some cases, they're going to get hurt. Or in some cases, it's just not going to work out for them academically or whatever it is. There will be players who would have made a lot of money who will not make money now. And I don't think there's any question about that. Again, I just come back to that's not what the MLBPA's focus on this is. And until we have the time where the people, someone is representing the people who are actually going through this process, that's not going to change. Carlos, any final thoughts? No, I think JJ summed it up pretty well. Um, yeah, I think this was a fun conversation. Obviously, still a lot to, to still unfold. Um, and we'll be covering it. So stay tuned. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've got a ton of content on the reported deal up at BaseballAmerica.com right now. Go ahead and check it out. Uh, the newest issue of Baseball America is out as well or will be coming out in a few days uh, with all the coverage of the coronavirus and how it has affected the game and what lies ahead. We'll continue providing up-to-the-minute news and information here at Baseball America on everything happening. Uh, this is unprecedented times and uh, we're working through them to uh, get all the news to you so uh, everyone can stay abreast of all the latest and greatest in the baseball world. For J.J. Cooper and Carlos Clauso, I'm Kyle Glazer. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Thanks for listening and stay safe, everyone.